When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
This is Martin Hanlon on KX93.5, KX93.5.com, and today I'm sure I've got a special guest all the way from Glasgow, Paul Buchanan from the Blue Nile. And how are you today, Mr Buchanan, or tonight? I'm good, Martin. It's nice to hear you. Nice to, nice to speak to you. We're going to talk about your career, uh, the Blue Nile, and even the solo stuff. So uh, can we go, go, go back to the beginning, if you don't mind, and we'll talk about... Uh, you know, there's a story before about I love this life being on RSO and stuff. But I think I'll just go to a walk across the rooftops, if that's fine. Yeah. And uh, one question, and I know a little bit about this answer, but people don't. What made you want to become a singer and be in a band? I don't know, Martin. I mean, I, I don't think I really... I don't think I thought about that until, you know, maybe the third record that the band made. Um, so I don't honestly know why I did it. I look back now and I, I don't remember making any kind of decisions. I think it just kind of happened. And then when you're in a group, that's just your job in the group. So I don't think, yeah, I don't think I really kind of thought of myself as a singer in inverted commas, ever, really. That's, I mean, for someone with a voice like yourself and being in bands and, and working with some singers, I mean, you know... I can I can see the the understatement of that because uh, being around you and working with you, you just seem to seem to go at it and it just seems to come naturally. And in terms of those, like listening to the the records before I did the show, and it seems like lyrically, the foundation of everything is for you as a writer uh, and a singer is love. It seems to be what it's about and and what you try to put across. Is that would that be correct? Yeah, I suppose it's that endless <laughs> search for love I mean, within yourself, uh, the ability to love, and, and I guess, you know, to find someone that that loves you as well. So I suppose it is. I, I, I haven't actually stopped and thought about it now. I'm, I'm running back in my mind now through the songs. And, yeah, I guess love. Because I mean, I'm, like just looking and picking out, you know, some some of the, you know, the lyrics to some uh, of the songs. The first album, even taking the, the song "Stay," where you're, you there's a line I write a new book every day. A love theme for the wilderness. Mm. It just seems that, you know, for me personally, when I listen to it, it's where I go when I want to correct myself in any kind of, not just in a relationship and in a day to day living my life kind of basis. And listen to the, the, the first record, and as you know, I was in a band and, and, and we kind of had a preconceived idea of what we were trying to do in the silencers. And then when I heard I Walk Across Rooftops, it just came from so left field and out there and just the style of it. I hadn't heard anything like that before. And, then, and, and when you were making the first record, was there any influences that, that you pulled in or did, were you just, you know, just putting it out there? There was a lot of music that, you know, I think at that time that what it did do, because I, you know, was not, and, and I'm still not, you know, much of a guitar player really, so I, I think that there was music around at the time that it made you realise that it was okay just to do what you could do. Um, but, you know, talking heads and the associates and, I mean, all sorts of people, but uh, but I think that 
part of what we were pursuing was we didn't want it to sound like other people because we didn't want people just to have set responses to to the songs. So, you know, if you put a kind of smoky sax in a song, everybody knows that it's a kind of loved up bit of yeah. a movie. Um, and if you put a power chord or, you know, a certain kind of effect on the drums or whatever, people, people are very literate in terms of how to respond to music and they know what that's supposed to mean. So for us, part of it was was searching for, for ways of playing that, that took people to another place and didn't make them just think, yeah, I know what that is. But having said that, I mean, it worked out well because I couldn't really play, I couldn't play very well anyway. So there was no chance of me doing lots of great chords or, you know, a sort of fantastic solo. So I think that the music that was around at the time it legitimised working with the new abilities. The uh, talking about the way you were, you were working and you're saying about the inability to, to play a guitar, you know, the way that some, some people can. But I think that's the great thing about it for me and the way that you play and the way that you write lyrics is you seem to search for the right thing to go with, the, you know, the right music, the right sounds to go with the right words. And it's, and it's a search that a lot of people, you know, just give up on because it's too much of a trouble. But it seems like the whole, that trouble to go and find the correctness that for that sound and that word at that particular time, uh, and a Blue Nail song is, is, is the journey that no one else makes that only you guys did make. And, and, and how, you know, did you have that pitch in your head what you wanted and then it was a case of searching until you got it? I, th I think so. I mean, I think looking back, you know, when something was right, there was a little click in your mind. Um, and it would drive you crazy sometimes because you you would want to be finished and to go home, but uh, I mean, there was a sense. I think I don't know. This sounds a bit self-indulgent now, but uh, but it's still true that I think when you're working away on something, there's a sense of when it becomes true. Yeah. So a lot of it was about throwing things away or or, or not accepting something that you could just have said, yeah, that's fine, that's 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 good, let's go. Um, I think we, we kind of, we just kept searching until we had something that was the right colour or the right texture. And uh, that was to, to express the feeling. We didn't want anybody to pay any attention to, to who was playing on the record or who was playing what on the record. We didn't want to draw attention to anything, and, and I think that to find ways of, of expressing that for the songs that we were working on, it's different for everybody, obviously. I mean, I listen to other people's records, as you know, and think that how fantastic they are, and, you know, I wish I could do that, I can't do that. But for us, with the material that we were working for, it was about getting the feeling across and us being out of the way of that feeling so that whoever listened to the record could, if we were lucky, they would relate the feeling in the song and in the voice to something in their own lives. So that, that was the search for us. And, uh, you know, there was an element in it of we had a, an idea in our imagination how we wanted it to be. 
and we just had to keep looking. That was it. We just had to keep. Sometimes it came quickly. Sometimes it didn't come at all. And we threw the song away. Sometimes it came after a long, a long time. But there was an element in it of, you know, like Michelangelo was saying about sculptures that the shape was already in the stone, yeah. and, and what you had to do was just chisel the stone away. So I think that was how we, you know, we approached it. But I mean, the great thing is at that, that time of life and no other responsibilities you, you could give in to your imagination. And we're, t we're talking about 1984 here, mm -hmm. I guess it'd be 82, 83 when you're working on it. And uh, technically speaking as well, I mean, you've had limitations in terms of gear. I know a lot of people listen to those records and talk about them being technically amazing, but I mean, you really didn't have that much equipment and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were saying, you know, when we talked before that a lot of the sounds were all came, came from one keyboard and then the rest of it you, you had to really make up from anywhere because there was no samplers. There wasn't the plethora of equipment around. No. I mean, how minimal was the gear that you were working with and, and how did you overcome it? Fantastically minimal. I mean, I, well, I mean, as you know, in order to finance the, the recording of the first single, we went out and played covers with the same equipment and we used to go to the gigs in a Volkswagen Beetle. Three of us and all of the equipment, so it, there wasn't much of it. <laughs> there wasn't much of it, you know, a guitar, a bass, and uh, a Jupiter 8 that PG used. Um, he was obviously highly inventive on it, and uh, it, it's still a great, it's still a great uh, keyboard. So that was that. You know, the piano would be a piano in the studio, and obviously. Insofar as we used uh, any real strings, uh, we brought them in. So no, it was it was very very minimal and sampling. There was no facility to sample the way there is now. So it was very very complicated. Um, we would record something. We would hit objects basically and, and try and get one that we liked, a, a hit that we liked that had the right emotional significance that we were after <clears throat> and we would, we would do that endlessly until we got one and then the others, not me, I'm not technical enough, but the others had figured out a way to they built something, they went to Tandy Electronics and, and, and bought all these little boxes and wires and built a thing that you had to tap with a drumstick and it wouldn't make the sample play immediately, there would be a delay but it would play, so you had to figure out just by feel where the delay was. <laughs> so it was laborious, but, but, you know, again, as I said at that point in life, it's an adventure and, uh, you know, everything's very exciting to you and, uh, and you're so completely preoccupied by getting what you're after that, you know, you don't care if you, you forget to have dinner, you care about yeah. did you get that sound. It's like uh, there's... A, f a movie, Blade Runner, that you're aware of, which is a, one of my favourite movies, and, and I, I was watching a documentary recently about how they, m they made that movie, and, 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 and all the stuff that wasn't available, but they managed to make this atmospheric thing happen. And, and, and for you as well, uh, I always kind of listen to it, and I, and I see this cinematic thing that you were making something bigger than you guys were. And, and also it kind of comes out in, the, in some of the lyrics I love in Automobile Noise, you say, I'm weary of the fighting. I'm weary of the surrender, but then the line comes in when you say, saddle up the horses, you know, and we'll go. And it's like this cowboy western thing that's, you've always, it's, it's there in the 
Bobby Cannon lyric that's always like, you know, is this a James Stewart movie or something? It's, it's, it's just a, a movie that says, you know, this fastness we can kind of control if we try. Uh, and, and I think the cinematic thing about the sounds as well is really, is really there. But that was, was the movie, movies or, or movie soundtracks any, you know, influence on you when you were doing this stuff? Actually, funnily enough, I watched Blade Runner about three nights ago again. It's just so good. Um, well, you know, Martin, you know, we had no TV. We had no phone. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, you would occasionally have enough money to go to the movies. I, I think it's a feeling that you were always pursuing, you know. It was a feeling that you were pursuing. And, and, and obviously, you know, cinema or cinema that I would like anyway would would maybe take you to that place and and in terms of the American element I mean you were the same as me you, you know America was the you know was the America of the movies yeah. and, and so you grew you grew up watching that and loving it and and responding to what you saw in, in the movies um, and certainly you know after the first time I mean we, we visited America in between the first and second records and I think you can hear the impact of being there for the first time throughout Hats just yeah. the, the scale of the place and, and what it represents and, and you know to the rest of the world in our minds so I think it was always that feeling of somewhere something somehow something a better place that we were after Just so let's say talking about you know the feeling you're talking about you know going to a particular song on a record, Rags to Riches, where you say, I'm in love, I'm in love with the feeling. There's a great opening line to that, where it say, I leave the home of a lifetime like any other son. I have hope and good intentions. It was like a, it was like a manifesto for me when, when I heard that line. I mean, is that... And did your intentions, did it pan out? You know, even from looking back then, you know, where you are now. I mean, I know we've been talking for a while, but just, just that line, when I was listening to it last night, it's so surreal because, you know, we're from Glasgow, and it was written, you know, you were there between Glasgow and Edinburgh. I'm driving up the Pacific Coast Highway last night, and Rags to Riches is playing. And I'm driving, and I hear that line, and I'm thinking, wow, yeah, that's... And to me, listen to it, it was, it was an invitation for people who, who, who listened to your music to, to try and accomplish thing, something, sorry. And, and, and that's what I feel. And, and I, was, that, was that a manifesto for you? Yeah, I mean, the line, that line, I'm in love with a feeling, I, I think was, you know, probably that's a fairly central line to everything that we were, you know, that, that we were trying to do. And, and yeah, the start of the song as well, obviously, the, you know, the setting out and looking for something, which is, is, what, is what you do and what you, what you should do. I, I'm not saying it all panned out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the same as everybody's lives, there are, you have good moments and bad moments and <clears throat> achievements and setbacks. And, uh, I don't think the trajectory, you know, was consistent, but uh, but you do your best, which I guess is, you know, what the, the majority of people are doing. You, you do your best. And, uh, you know, looking back at it now, I, I, I don't think I've changed that much. I, I think you have some sort of nagging wish to express something that you can't quite name and that's why maybe that's why you make music or maybe it's why people do paintings or 
make movies. You're, you're searching for something, and you know, and in life itself, it's just little moments of connectedness. Yeah. Just tiny moments. I mean, I, I know you have them, but you know, I, you know, I know that you, it's about family and just that feeling of connectedness of some possibility. You know, and, and I think that that was what you know really motivated the three of us, and just a sense of something more is possible. And I, I don't mean that you can necessarily sustain it. I mean, you know me; I'm just a mess, same as yeah. everybody else. But yeah. but in your work, you can be honest, but you can also strive to express. I think your better hopes. And I guess that, that's really what we were doing. I want to go to Easter Parade first because it's, it's a song and I have spoken to you about this before but just again it, it's you have this voice in the record and then out of the side comes this other person to sing Easter Parade it is you but it's certainly a different voice it's, where does that part come from for you where, where, where you change the position and, and you can just hear it in the, the timber in your voice there is something different in that track than the rest of the record you're looking for the truth of the character that's that's speaking in the song. I mean, I, I, I don't regard the people that are speaking in the songs as me in any sense. So, you know, sometimes I might sing something and the other guys might say, you know, it sounds like singing. Uh, it's too good or it's too bad or whatever, but it just it sounds too much like singing. That's not what we want. Or it sounds like the wrong guy or... It's not, you know, the guy's, it sounds like the guy's got a hat on, he shouldn't have a hat on or, or, or whatever it is. And I think you're always just trying to set yourself aside and let the voice come through that's appropriate for that, whichever song you're singing. And, you know, Easter Parade, you know, that's a great example of the what if question that was we were proposing. And I, and I think that with that song, what we were trying to achieve was stillness. Yeah. Um, and so the the energy in that song would be complete. You know, would be different from Tinseltown, say, or whatever. You know, it's it's appropriate. It would be appropriate to to whatever the character in the song was was going through. And I think um, in Easter Parade, the character was he, for that brief spell. He was he was as close as he got on the record to being of all doubt. Wow. I mean, just the, the voice on it, it's just, there's something about it. It's just lyrically, it's fantastic. Musically, it's amazing. And and and, and that was weird. I just was, was listening to it a few years back and, then, and all of a sudden I just felt this change in the voice. Talking about another song you mentioned, Tinseltown and the, and the Rain. I came to the Blue Nile when I was living in London. I'd moved away from Glasgow and I was tra travelling up on a train one day and I, I think I'd bought the NME and I was reading this incredible review for Walk Across the Rooftop. And then someone left a station and they'd left the Times sitting there and I picked it up and there was another review, which was amazing. And, uh, and I was like, wow, any me and, and the Times, you know, that's incredible. And then somewhere later on that day, I, I either read or heard Gabriel talking about you. And I was like, I need to get this. And, and, and I, I got the record and the cover of it 
I recognise because it was the road that I grew up on, just five minutes away. Yeah. My doctor's office was right next door to that picture. And I was like, wow, I know where this is. And I played it, and I was in London, and, and I'd been there for a while, and then there was a whole kind of homesickness. And Tinseltown just kind of came at me and washed over me and made me feel something. I, I, it wasn't a Scottish thing or a Glasgow thing. It just made me feel as if someone had managed to write something that explained who I was or where I came from. It was, was Tinseltown, was that for you or was it, or was it a, an imagination of something else for you or was it about where you were from? I think that, you know, to, to me Tinseltown is, you know, whatever your own dream is. I mean, obviously it goes without saying that the, the landscape and the, the, the character of where you come from influences you. I mean, I remember having endless conversations with PJ about this for, we kind of kept saying, you know, there was a particular street in the city uh, in Glasgow that we kept looking at at night and saying, you know, that that just looks like New York. It looks like New York. Um, and I think that, you know, musically at that point as well, in that song, what we were trying to do, you know, with the guitar and the bass particularly, and the kind of little horn in the background was, you know, sort of create this kind of, just this sense of an urban backdrop, just this kind of lean, rhythmic, almost like traffic. Just that way that you sort of, you don't hear the individual cars, you just hear the, the overall wash of it. So I think that, you know, to us, obviously, you're not aware of the fact that where you're coming from is, is in you, but it is. But Tinseltown in the rain, I think, you know, was it was about whatever. In a sense, it was about what you lost and, and what you still hoped for. It was, you know, it's it's about what your dreams were. And then, talking about the record, now we'll go to some music. Do you want to pick a track and I'll pick a track? Or nah, you, yeah, okay, you pick what you I mean, go first. I think, I think, uh, you know, there's something. But I'm going to go with Rags to Riches because just of the atmosphere of of, of, of the of the track. I was going to go with Easter Parade, but at the beginning, I'm going to go with Rags to Riches just because of the whole colourful cinematic feel of it. And and if you were going to pick another track from it, and we're only talking about what there's eight tracks on the record, which seven. was seven. Yeah. yeah, there is. So seven, so there's, I mean, it's like, I mean, that's an incredible feat that people can, you know, we were always trying to fling these tracks on because hopefully we were thinking one of them will stick. You've never had that. You just went, these are, this is what deserves to be on here. Everything else can just take a hike. That's all we had. I know that's an understatement because you're, you, you know, you're so, you do write a lot, but you, you yeah, know, you're, 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 you're you know, your quality, quality control is, is, is a way up there. So, I mean, if, if there's another track for you that, that you know... That no, that's fine. That's lovely, Martin. That's all good. And, you know, I'll pick... You, you, I'll give you a list of two, but either Tinseltown or Easter Parade. <laughs> Thank you. 
to a standstill or the Lord came out in the morning air I find the place I started from the wild is calling 
So here we're back with Paul Buchanan from the Blue Nile on KX93.5, KX93.5.com. Uh, we're talking about the albums of the Blue Nile, and we're going to go to the second album of the Blue Nile, which is called Hats, and was released in 1989. And we've went uh, quite a few years before another record, and there's, there's, there's stories here that we don't need to go over. <laughs> but uh, as you said, you, you went to America in between the first and, and the second record. And uh, if there's a track on it that you think shows you your American influence, 
that came into you? What, 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 what track do you think really captures that influence for you, that you, you, you feel the difference? Because to be honest, Paul, I, I still hear it as a very kind of European city record. You know, I don't... I, we'll get to Peace at Last, which I, I think there is obvious American influences there, much more obviously than in Hats. But in Hats, for you, where is the, the American influence in there? I think, you know, I, I mean, it was the first time we'd been and we went to New York and Los Angeles and I just hear it through the record, Martin, you know, or, you know, that's how I experienced it anyway. I mean, I think that the, you know, the downtown lights or Saturday night, um, even though, I, you know, I've got points of reference for these songs in other places, they just, and even the title of the whole record, um, I just think being in America, the scale of it, seeing it, seeing those cities for the first time, just, I mean, you know what it's like yourself, Martin, you remember, you've never seen anything like it. You're like, what? I've never seen anything as tall as New York, and I've never seen anything as, <clears throat> you know, expansive as, as greater Los Angeles. So I think that that kind of went in and I think it triggered what we were speaking about earlier, which is, you know, a lot of the, the sense of America that you'd had watching movies growing up. Um, so to me, it just, you know, it, it was in there. It was just in there. I think this is where we, we actually first met. Uh, and, and, and here, everybody can hate me because I think we are to blame for the record taking a bit longer to do. Uh, I was in the silencers and, and we recorded the record in just a little background in Germany at Hansa Studios uh, by the Berlin Wall. And we really didn't like it. And we came back and, and we kind of had this little revolt against the record company and we said, we're not going to let this one go out. We want to start recording again. And we got our way which was, wouldn't happen these days, but it was at the time. And we decided we'd all get together and pick our favourite albums and see if there was a common denominator there. And, you know, we all walked on and everybody came in with a walk across the rooftops. And we're like, wow, yeah, great. Where's that? And we look and it says, Penn, Caitlin, Scotland. We're like, all right, OK, we're going back to Scotland because we were all Scotsmen and we were all living in London. And I remember flying up and we walk in and I met you that day. And, and you said, you know, why are you here? And we said, why? And you were like, you know what? Why don't you just have the studios? Because, you know, I want a break. And yeah. the four of us were all, in one hand, ecstatic, and the other hand, we're like, oh, no. We, we really want another Blue Nile record. We don't <laughs> want to be the reason it's not happened quicker. Uh, I mean, what, at that time, can you remember that? And, and why did you want the break at that point? I mean, I think the first thing to say is that, you know, I absolutely respect any band or artist who can continue to to stay true to their muse and themselves and, and produce material consistently, particularly under pressure. For us, I think we were so surprised that what had happened after the first, when the first record went out, because we just expected literally nothing. And we kind of got very, you know, caught up in the demands that were made on you, which were great and exciting, but then suddenly the record company said, make another record. We hadn't rehearsed, we hadn't been home, we hadn't written. I mean, I've told you this, I think, Martin, that I opened the guitar case on the first day in the studio to make a second record, and it was I hadn't opened it since the last day of the, the previous record. I mean, I hadn't played the guitar. So we, 
we were just completely caught out. We had nothing. And I, and I think that instead of, I mean, in fairness, PJ said, you know, we should just say we can't do it just now. But, uh, but it's very much presented to you as if you don't do this now, you know, the window of opportunity will close. And the work ethic's there as well. So you think, oh, well, I'll just buckle down and, you know, I'll get through it, I'll get it made. But, uh, but I think the problem then is that you're forcing yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're forcing it, and, and, and the, the, the work that we recorded just didn't seem to me, didn't seem to any of us to have come from the right place. Um, it, it wasn't about being indulgent. I mean, it was a, a difficult time, and we were away from our homes and our families, and, you know, we were broke and we were under pressure, and obviously we were confronting failure on a daily basis. Um, but I think in the end, you know, it was the right thing to do was to not release the material that, that we recorded first because it just, it wasn't true. I mean, you're, you're talking to me, you know, the, the, the struggle to do that and then, and then know what it's like being in the band and that struggle. But from the outside, the bands and, you know, the friends that we have in common, uh, the, band, the guys in the band and the silence, as you know, and also Jim from Simple Minds. And we've, we've talked about, you know, that situation for you guys and there was for us there was this envy that you managed to let them take their you know the stand and say everything has to move away and we have to be done with all this other stuff because we're we have to write these songs and they have to be true and a lot of us felt so lucky to be in that business that we kind of agreed to do stuff that wasn't in the best interest of the songwriting and for me for you guys the songwriting was always you know the thing, and you know, Marlene, who you know, my wife was talking the other day, and she was listening to uh, Hats, and she said, "You know, he ruins it for me for listening to other music because he just picks the right words, and everybody else just babbles on, and they still don't make a point." I mean, it's the the you know the intensity and the the condensed writing that you, you come up with. It's is it difficult for you to get it that condensed, condensed, and get rid of the the fluff, or is it just it just happens for you. <laughs> well, I mean, if I was any good, I would be doing it regularly. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But, I mean, I just think once in a while, you know, you manage to to get out of the way and to not ruin something by thinking about it too much and, and the right thing happens. And if you're, you know, if you've got any sense at all, you leave it alone right then and there. Um, I don't know, Martin. I mean, you know, I'm like Martin. I, you know, I, I mean, to me, all I ever hear is what's wrong and what I could have done better, and you know, etc., etc., etc. But uh, I think that I mean to repeat myself. I think that you know there are lots of people who consistently come up with, with you know, what I regard as great work, and, and, and they seem to have no problem doing it. So. I mean, I just get embarrassed at myself because I think, oh, God, you know, why don't I just sort of sit down and do this every day or every week instead of, you know, taking as long as I seem to take to to work with my... Well, you know, you said to me, you know, you get something and you look at all the options and then you go back to the first thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just it's, it's part of the process. But, uh, but, yeah, once in a while, the song, you know, it just comes. And the truth is, when they come, they come. And, and they generally come complete and intact and, you know at the end of hands 
after having been out of the studio for a long, long time, I mean, almost two years, we went back in um, and made, really essentially made, you know, what remained to be made of the record in, a, you know, a couple of weeks, really, because we knew what we were doing then. Yeah. And I think that, you know, quite often, the good songs, they just, they just come along and, you know... It's not really to do with using your so-called intelligence. It's just you just write it down and say, "That's it. That's it right there." I wish it had come, <laughs> you know, before, yeah. but it's come now. And you know, and there's lots of examples of that. I think there's examples of it in Hats and all of the other records where you just think, actually, that song, just the song, bits of the arrangement, everything about it, just seemed to almost fall into your lap. Do we write? better when we're broken hearted is that, is, that what, is that how it works do we have to be broken hearted to write these songs I suppose you know I mean I, I don't think you can sort of you know obviously you can't sit down and write a song well you can but you're not really going to just sit down and, and sort of say you know I feel really bad today because you left me baby or, or whatever it is it, it mutates and, and usually a little bit of time passes, but, but obviously you're accessing, <clears throat> you know, particular emotions. And, and the, the bottom line is you're expressing what you feel. You know, I think in analysing music and in analysing how you do it or what you do in yourself, sometimes you forget the very basic thing, which is you, basically it's what you're feeling just what you feel and then later you stand outside yourself and talk about it but actually at the time it's what you feel as regards whether it's better if you're heartbroken you know I think all sorts of things can inspire you and I, I think that as you go on in life maybe your your idea of what love is begins to, to change so you know certainly at this point in life I'm kind of hopeful that you know, you don't have to be heartbroken, and in fact, the, the love you, you're trying to express, and maybe that's the love you were always looking for, um, is a bigger kind of love, is a sort of unconditional love, is, you know, maybe not exactly the same as the kind of romantic love that we all feel, you know, in our teens, our twenties. Yeah. As life goes on, you learn, and, and you start to, you start to hope for a, for a completely unselfish love. It, so, it remains to be seen. A couple of weeks ago, I finished the show with, uh, I played 7am. And before, before I went to the song, I had this advice for people that, you know, if they are in love with some person and they don't know what to say, they should just get the Blue Nile records and search through it and there'll be a song in there. <laughs> <laughs> They'll make it really easy for it. And, you know, and, and, and I use that, and we've talked about it, I've used it for my own romantic ends, which ended up in a marriage and a, and a lovely son called Austin, where I sat in Dallas, Texas, in the back of a tour bus with my wife. And I said, I don't know what to say, but you need to listen to this record. And you know, it worked. So I think the advice is, is, is good advice. And, and of course, you know, your, your perspective in love, of course, it matures. And I'm uh, sorry, uh, just changes yeah, through, yeah. Through, through the albums. Uh, and you were talking, we'll talk, we're going to play a couple of songs from, from Hats, and we'll talk about one in particular, one which is Saturday Night. And when I was listening to it, and I'd written something down, which you just said, you know, Saturday Night was influenced by America. But, you know, 
to me, Saturday night said, you know, it's, it's very Glasgow for me. It's very late teenage and, and, and really alive. But the big thing that jumps out for me is when you say an ordinary girl can make the world all right, love me all the way, it's Saturday night. There's just, there's just something in that line that when everybody's looking for stuff, it's usually right there in front of you and it's usually the most simplest form. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a sense of achievement, Paul, for you when you write something like Saturday night and you, in my opinion, get it so correct. Can you only hear the fault Saturday night? Can you only yeah. hear the things that are not right? Yeah. Oh, man. I can't believe it. And also, just to even, even make it worse for you, like my favourite all-time Paul Buchanan vocal is in the outro about 5.15 where you, you know, and you just go into this thing where you just let go. And there's a joyousness there that just feels... I just remember those Saturday nights when you were that young and you were thinking life yeah. is going to be great and you're in, yeah. and you're, I was in Glasgow at the time, I know you're saying it's influenced by New York, and thinking, man, the world is my oyster, I can yeah, yeah. really achieve. Even now when I listen to it, it kind of gives me that feeling again and it makes me get up again. And it makes me want to do great things again. I mean, and that's, I've seen a lot for a record that, I mean, lots of records you listen to and they just go by, but this record, particularly in Hats, and I know a lot of people talk about this record, but they do it for a reason, and the reason is it's so such a qualified, great record. When you talk about, did you ever, you know, PJ and, and, and Robert, yourself sit down and go, wow, we did manage to maybe not get there because there's not a perfect record for you guys. I know there isn't. You, you are always looking for perfection. But did you feel an accomplishment at the end of this record? Or were you just tired? Probably a mixture of both, Martin. You know, I, th I think that it had been such a... I think standing our ground had, had been such, a, you know, an issue um, that there was satisfaction because you thought, well, I don't know if the record's good or bad, but, but you know, I believe we've done the best that we can and I don't think there's a... You know, it doesn't have a false bone in its body. So um, I certainly remember driving God, it was fantastically late and it must have been if it wasn't the end of the record it was a day or two short of it but I remember driving away from the studio back we'd drive through Edinburgh and then to Glasgow and it really was dawn I mean it was like five in the morning or something um, and I remember driving sort of through these country roads and PJ used to line it was cassettes we had in those days he used to line <laughs> line songs up so that they happened at certain bits in the journey um, and I remember driving it was very misty and there was a kind of flock of crows or whatever they were I think were kind of swooping about on the road we had the record playing in the car and I suppose yeah I suppose that was a good moment really and then we kind of came to the crest of a hill at the end of the country countryside and you know, the city was there and it was dawn, so it was lit up. And I think, you know, PJ started to play the downtown lights or something then. So, yeah, I mean, I think that was part of what was good about being in a group was that yeah. I think because so much of it was to do with the other people that you could enjoy something and revel in it and without thinking that you were <clears throat> being immodest or sort of giving your pat itself in the back, you could look at it as a sort of 
<clears throat> somehow the three of you, or the three of you plus Callum, we had, we had done something that was better than we were. You know, it yeah. wasn't it wasn't an individual. There wasn't a, there was no scope there for vanity. It was you had worked and worked and worked very hard, and you had done something that that, that you believed in. And when you listened to it, you wouldn't think, okay, that's a bit of a cheat, that bit, or I didn't really mean that bit, or that's a bit show offy or whatever. You knew, you know, you had done the best you could. That's all you can do. Well, but again, you... I mean, I just have to keep saying this that this is all within our small universe. You know, we didn't have any idea, and I still don't have any idea of it's important or it matters or whatever, you know, I mean, there, there's so many, you know, really great musicians and writers out there that, that have done so much more that all you can do is, the best you can think is, yeah, yeah you know, I did the best I could, you know. So we're going to pick a couple of tracks to play from from the hats. Saturday night is the second track, and, and, and as I said, the vocal on it is my, my, one of my favourite Bobby Cannon moments. Uh, but the other track we're going to go with is the Downtown Lights, and this is a confession time for you. I don't think I told you the story about the Downtown Lights. Did it about? And strangely enough, you mentioned PJ in the cassette. And every single night, I look to see if there's any Blue Nile music <laughs> lying around. Can't find it. I'm just like. I'm so into it, I need to find something. And one night, they all go for dinner, and I'm going through something, and I find in a drawer a black cassette oh, and yeah, white china graph written on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Downtown Lights. Oh, excellent. And so, so this is like 1986, you know, mm. uh, round, about, round about there. So a few years before you ever, you know, and it would have yeah, been a yeah. demo, and, and, and I felt really guilty, but at the same time, it was just like, you know, <laughs> the search of gold. And I put it on, and there was no one in the studio. And I shut the studio door, because, you know, I didn't want him then. And uh, I played a track, and the downtown lights come on, and I'm just, like, blown away. I mean, completely blown away. But I can't tell anyone, because <laughs> I, feel as, I feel as if I've just cheated. I've just, you know, I've stolen something that shouldn't be heard at that particular time and by anyone. And... I keep it to myself for quite a while, but you know Joe in the band, uh, Joe yeah. Donnelly, and he's such yeah, a big yeah. fan. And so four weeks later, <laughs> I confess to him over dinner, and he's like, like, we have to leave and go listen to it. And uh, I was like, okay, and we go into the studio, and we get... I, I've always put the cassette back in the same place, because, <laughs> yeah. of course, we're working with Callum, and I don't want Callum to find out that I know it's there. So yeah, I have to yeah. protect... I know exactly the way it's sitting and what the draw is. <laughs> So with Joe and I go and listen to it, and he's the same, but we can't tell anyone. Oh, you know, nice, I confess my secret of downtown lights and my love for it. <laughs> well, it's forgiven, man. That's a nice, <laughs> such a romantic. <laughs> I thank you for it. So, first of all, this is the Blue Nile, the wonderful song, The Downtown Lights.
This is Martin Han on KX93.5, kx935.com here in Laguna Beach. I'm talking to Mr. Paul Buchanan from the Blue Nile. We're going through the record collection of the Blue Nile, and we're now at the third record, an album called Peace at Last, released in 1996. And to me, Paul, this is definitely an American-influenced album, and you can hear it. There's a lot more acoustic guitar in it than there was the piano and, and, and synth. Yeah. And... Was this really, you know, a big, di you know, did you step to the side on this away from the where you were creating before and try something new, or is it just the way the songs come out on Peace at Last? I think it, it was a bit of both, Martin, really. You know, I think that it was a bit of both. I think that after Hats, there was a part of all of us, I think, thought that somehow or other technique was getting viewed you know, only by some people, yeah. as being the, the key factor. And, you know, to us it wasn't. Um, so that was one element of it. And the other element was that I just happened to buy a, a particular guitar. I mean, I've told you the story before, which was I was looking at guitars in New York. And I saw one that I liked. I, I played it, actually. I didn't buy it, but I played it. And later that evening, I spoke to Robert. He was somewhere else in New York, and he said, oh, I saw a guitar today that you would like. It was the same guitar. Yeah. And it seemed like such a kind of long shot out of all the guitar stores and all the guitars in New York that both of us had spotted the same guitar in the same day. So I bought the guitar, and, you know, that, I think, influenced it influenced the record but but there was a conscious element the con conscious part of me as well I think of just trying to step away and and in a funny way um, just I just wanted to make a different kind of record that was all I really just wanted to make a different kind of record I didn't want to I'm not sure in retrospect that it worked but and I think that there were some people that it wasn't what they wanted they wanted the same they wanted hats again which I absolutely understood but I think having the guitar and just making the decision to step away a wee bit from what we'd done was, was really what lay behind it. Because I was listening to, you know, the track Tomorrow Morning, mm. and, you know, and there's just, there's a feeling, there's the same kind of not exactly structured to, to the Downtown Lights and, and Tomorrow Morning, a bit similar, but it's just a bit where you go off after, you know, it's kind of middleweight section where mm. the lines come out and it's blue skies, waters, desert, mm. which then, you know, Downtown Lights is empty, you know, crowded streets and empty bars. Yeah, yeah. So there was that vastness of America mm. that, that, that comes in that you don't have, mm. I mean, in, in, in where we grew up. Uh, were, you, were you aware that, that that was happening to you and you wanted it to happen to you and you were welcoming of it? I was welcoming of it, yeah. I was welcoming of it. I mean, I think that, as I said, I, you know, looking back now, I think, well, I don't know if I really executed that record as well as, as I might have, but... Um, or, well as we might have but yeah, I mean as you know there were other stresses and strains that started to happen there things were a bit wobbly within the group and, and it was a bit of a shift in direction for us so 
but yeah, it was absolutely necessary, Martin. I didn't. I just didn't want to do the same thing again. And um, you know, Hats was it was just so intense to to do it. And even though you know, in its way, I think piece of last quite a spiritual record to me. It was much. I was really I was trying consciously to sort of have my feet on the ground a little bit more. There's, there's a song on there that I was listening to, and I listened to a few times last night and this morning, Love Came Down. And, it, you know, and to me, this is my reading of it, and, and if, if, you know, if it's not, it's not, I'm sorry, it's mine. <laughs> that's, that's your gift to us that we get to, to put things on you that likely does mean. But it's, it's like a love song for a time when you were in a really happy place. And, you know, you know like some, you know, when I first moved to America, I was in Austin and I really enjoyed living there. I love living in Laguna Beach. And it's like, it's a happy. You were. It seemed to me that song portrays to me that you were in a happy place and you were enjoying what you were doing, yeah. and you wanted the people that you loved to, to be there and, and you know, uh, you know, enjoy it with you. And it's like this whole was. It's like the love is heaven sent, and you wanted to share it. Was was there a time even? I know there was conflict during the record, but there was times where you felt. Did you feel at peace with yourself and yeah. Yeah. And, and, and confident and, and happy with your career? Yeah, I mean, personally, I felt good. I actually felt as, probably as good as I'd ever felt. I mean, I, I felt, you know, comparatively relaxed. Um, and I didn't want, I just didn't want to do anything epic. You know, I was quite happy to make a, a record that had moments of exuberance and, you know, moments of reflection and... And in a sense, it referred to other music where the other records hadn't. Yeah. Um, and I was happy with that. I didn't want everything to be, as I said, I didn't, I didn't want the band to end up, you know, getting strangled by reputation. I just wanted to make a record and not worry too much about it. And talking about, you know, the American influence and, and, and stuff, uh, the, two, the two tracks on there, there's Holy Love and, War, and the other song, War is Love, and both of them, for me in particular, Holy Love, has a Prince influence there. It's, it's, you know, it's the falsetto singing and some of the guitar playing and the grooves that you got there. Was that, am I wrong in that, or was that something that you, you did, you did kind of osmosis like bring in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we, I didn't, you know, I, I mean, I just, I never felt we got it right, you know, but um, I still don't think we got it right, but. Uh, it was just technical issues, to be honest, which I won't, I won't bore you with. But I never felt we we got it quite right, um, the feel of it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, the, I think Peace at Last in general, as I said, I was quite happy for it to refer to other music. And actually, to be honest, each of the songs in my head, I thought, you know, I can see where that's coming from. Um, I can see the kind of music that it's coming from, whether it was, you know, specifically Prince or... You know, Dylan or gospel music or stacks, you know, whatever it was, um, I was quite happy for that to happen in that record. Whereas the other records, I, I, I didn't want that. You know, I, I, I was after something else in the other records. But, but Peace of Last, I was, I was quite contented to, to, you know, to show or to let it be apparent um, that it was coming from other kinds of music. 
And on, on the, the, the other track, there's a track, God Bless You Kid, there's a, a line that just jumped out at me, because I know what was going on at the time, we've talked a lot about it, but as it says, when you get to the top, does it all work out? And here are you, you're like, you went from, you know, starting off on Lynn Records, you know, in Glasgow, and here you are, you're signed to Warners and you're in America. For you and I, that was always like, you know, we're looking at that, that's it, this is where we need to get to. And you did get to the top, you did do those things. I mean, it's strange when then it doesn't work out for us because we have these goals. Did we, was it a disappointment for you that, that, that it didn't work out? Yeah. The thing is, on this record, there is a lot of acceptance and, and honesty on it. And I think, you know, whether people wanted Hat's version too, they, they got, you always seem to deliver the reality of, of life. And there's a lot of that on this record, and we'll talk about family in a second, but there was a, you know, with what's going on in, in, in Britain at the moment, and, the, and certainly in America at the moment, you know, there's a great thing from uh, Sentimental Man, and there's just this fantastic lines where you're singing, it's not about money, it's all about love, and I just think what we should do is we should just get some money and just get poster campaigns, and we should just, you know, plaster that across the whole of Britain and the whole of America and then we'll be all right and then people can get back to the, to the real thing. And that's what I think this, this record did for me because I, I bought this record when I was living in Austin, Texas. I, I'd moved from, from, from Glasgow and London and I was living in America. And it, it just... I remember putting it on and we'll talk now about the song Happiness. Uh, no backing vocals at all on two records. And the first track I'm listening to, you know, and I was like... Bobby Cannon, he's singing, and then this chorus comes in, and there's a gospel choir, and it kind of knocked me off my seat. It was like, emotionally, it was fantastic. It was, you know, picking that track was specifically for that record, and, and putting your tracks together for, for, for an album, was it just a statement and putting happiness at the front? I'm trying to remember now why we picked that particular running order, but yeah, I mean, I think, that, you know, the because the song Happiness is the piece of last line in it. Yeah. You know, I was trying, I really was trying at that point in my life to to be at peace. I really, really was. And, um, you know, it's like you asked earlier, this, you know, did heartbreak lead to, to better songs? But I didn't want any more, you know, angst. I just wanted to make a record and, and I had this guitar and I wanted I'd written these songs on the guitar, you know, largely with one or two exceptions that were on the piano. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it seemed a good place to start the record. And, and I don't know, I think in each of the records you have a sense of overall there's a story there, you know, and, and happiness seemed like the right place to start. It seemed like an affirmation. You finish off. I mean, the last track is soon on, on this record, isn't it? Mm. And, and, and that, to me, is, you know, so you get happiness at the, at the front and we're talking about the love affair and love will come soon. It's like the start of the love affair and, and all hope and desires there, mm. you know. Uh, I, I, and, and both the statements, you know, at a time, I'm sure, as you said, there was strife going on in the band. But I think you didn't want to put that over. I, I think it was always, you're always putting forward this, it can always be better if everybody just 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 tries. Mm. And going to the another track, you know, and well, let's talk. I mean, we mentioned family, and it means a lot to me, as you know, and and, and to you. I mean, and, and family life. I mean, I don't know what you say about this song except thanks. It's just incredible, and and for you, I mean, it seems there's a lot in there. I mean, 
was it a, a mission for you to write that kind of song, or is it, you know, or was it tough to write that song? I, I mean, I, I can remember stumbling on the, you know, the melody of it, and kind of roughly getting, you know, I knew to have the word family and and so on and so forth. But but what was tough with that song was it was just catching the moment to to do the vocal. Um, that 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 was tough, I think, and and then eventually I, I kind of went out, you know, to the mic. Um, and I had forgotten to take the lyrics with me. Um, and I thought, you know, normally I would have gone back in to the control room and picked up the lyrics and taken them out, put them in a music stand and sung. And I didn't, I just didn't. I just, you know, I thought, I'll just, you know, I'll go through it. And I mean, the lyrics were probably, I probably had, you know, maybe more lyrics than I needed on paper. So I think that, in a sense, what happened was that not having the lyrics in front of me kind of loosened me, just freed me up to, to just, I don't know, just, you know, have the emotion of of what the song was about, really. So um, I did that take, and, and that was it. I kept that take. Um, so, yeah, it was it was just tough. It was just tough getting, I think, because it's, you know, it is a kind of emotional subject. I think it was it was tough getting into the right zone, if you know what I mean. And then we, you know, we spoke, and we'll talk about the live thing in, 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 a, in a minute, because it's really, really important to, you know, that you can actually put this sort of stuff across. And and, and for me on this record, and we'll, we'll pick a couple of tracks, and if you don't mind it, can we play Happiness and Family Life? Of course. And personally for me, and, and the reason I'm saying this is, you know, the, the, you know, both getting to work with you and seeing how, seeing how you work and, 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 and really feel, feeling how you feel about the songs. And for me, like, we've always played Family Life. Austin and I, my son, you know, there's a great line, Tomorrow Will Be Christmas. I know it's a, it's a you know, a tough song, but there's just that wonderful line in there where you're, where you're saying, you know, this is real life, but there's always joy. And we listen to three tracks continuously on a loop until he falls asleep. One of them's a Brian Eno song. Uh, called Always Returning. It's just an instrumental and, it's, and it yeah, just kind of calms it down. And we have a song by uh, Roddy Frame from Aztec Camera called Stray, which he loves. But we always, you know, family life, he's like, play family life again, play family life. It's just, he gets the emotion of it. I mean, we're talking, this has been like five, six years, this, this tradition with, with my son and I. And he just gets family life. And there's just this, even when he's falling asleep and the line comes up, you know, tomorrow will be Christmas. There's this little smell comes across his face and like, great, you know, and eventually he drifts off knowing tomorrow's going to be a great day. And, and, and that's what the power of that song does for me. And happiness, of course. You know, the cycle of life where, where my, when my mother passed away, I asked you for permission to use it at, at the funeral. And, you, and I'm a family guy like yourself and, and, and together. But I remember at the time you said, yeah, go ahead. And you were at the funeral. And then, just at the very end that song played and it was like this thing just come through and it just kind of took my feet away from me and it was one of the most emotional things that had ever happened to me because I had to accept what had happened uh, but also I had to accept the joy of what had happened and, and, and the fact that I had such a fantastic family and mother so this has uh, happened you're a good man I mean that was a a tough day. So, you're a good man, you know, and you're a good son, and you're a good father, so 
that's what your songs do. Proud so, of that. And I and I thank you for the gift. So this is uh, whether this will get broadcast, I don't know, but that's for you. But this is happiness followed by family life by the Blue Nile.
This is Martin Hanlon on the Real McCoy Radio Show talking to Paul Buchanan from the Blown L on KX935KX935.com. We're moving on to the Blown L's fourth album, an album called High that was released in 2009. Does it feel high to you now, Paul, when you listen to it? What, what do you, what's your take on it as, as a record and, and, and where it sits in, compared to your other records for you personally? I think, um, to me, honestly, there's a, I think there are one or two moments that are slightly... There's maybe too much going on. Um, but in total, uh, I like the record. I'm proud of the record. That it's kind of stoic. Um, I think it's about people sticking with each other. At the time, you don't really realise that. But maybe it was something to do with what was going on in the room, which is that actually, you know, probably the best days were over. Um, but nobody was being mean to each other and nobody was letting each other down. And we were sticking with it and, and uh, there's an element of that in the record. Obviously, there are songs in the record that, again, are about family and love and, and so on and so forth. But <clears throat> And there's American components in there too, I think. But, uh, but I think it's a dignified record. If, you, you know, you trust... And, and, and you love the people who are around you and how you've trusted and loved most of your life, you will get through most, most things. And that parallel for you when you were, you know, this band, you know, PJ, uh, Robert and yourself. I mean, I knew, kind of knew PJ first before I knew Robert and yourself. And there was just something that, you know, the guys individually, these are all incredible guys, but I know what it's like when you get a band, it's just like, they had this, this gang. Unlike another guy, it was like this gang of love is the only way to describe it. I mean, it's, you know, maybe trite, but it's true. You, you, the three of you would get together and you would do this thing that was unselfish and, 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 and it, was, it was an inspiration for people. And, and, you know, like looking at the songs now, and it's, all the stuff is in there, but it's struggling more than it used to struggle. It used to, it used to flow a bit more, but it's still there. Uh, and, and, and falling up after the days of a life that goes into, you know, uh, I would never. And I mean, that's the biggest statement for you as a band. And I think even where we are at the moment, the Blue and I will we'll talk about later. But I think that's the, the defining statement for me from the album High. Uh, that and maybe the, the actual song High, where you're taking, you know, looking at ordinary things and saying, you know, we can make everything better. Was it a tough one for you to make or, or, or not? The actual making of the record was tough because I think that something had gone um, and we would get it in little bursts and, you know, we were being respectful to each other, but the something had gone, just that kind of unselfconsciousness and, the, you know, being together kind of morning, noon and night. And, you know, you need to remember by that point it was so many years of travelling and living in different places and never being in one place for any length of time and, you know, rented rooms and terrible apartments and, you know, having started out, as I said earlier, with, you know, no phone and no TV and and then you you, you sort of find yourself in these completely different circumstances and, and I, I, I still don't know, I mean, you know, Martin, you and I talked about it a lot. I don't know what happened. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it's, it's like any love, I suppose. You, you don't know why it starts. And you don't know why it dwindles. Uh, and maybe you look back and you think, no, 
I've got what's left of the love and that's still in my heart but actually on a day to day basis I don't actually know what changed and you know there isn't a week that goes by that I don't think could I have done something different should I have done something different what happened and you know I miss it obviously because to be in company of two other people who are talented and, and good people is, is a privilege yeah. um, but it's said, I think that you know we stuck by each other um, we were all sad, really, that, that somehow or other we were no longer doing what we were, what we'd been doing to begin with. We were, we were now surviving. Um, but I think that the, the achievement of the record is that we stuck it. You know, we stuck together with each other, um, and, and we tried to make you know a sort of dignified record that. that in many ways, looking back now, I think it reflected what we were going through, and I think that's why there's quite a bit of stuff on the record about, you know, I'll come back, I'll never leave you, etc., etc., etc. Stay close. Yeah, I was just going to say that's about the statement. It seems like stay close is a definitive statement. I mean, because it's communication breakdown, as, as everything always is. There was something that was easier for you to write a song like that than it was to actually get three grown men in a room and say, you know... And Talk about it. It's easy for me to say because I didn't have to do it, but you know I had the same thing in my band where I walked away from it. I mean, you, you stuck out longer than I did. But was that what, you know, was that consciously happened or subconsciously getting into your songwriting? I think it was, I mean, I, I suspect it was subconscious. I mean, I, it, you know, it was only looking back. I thought, gee, you know, I thought I was writing about completely different things. It's only looking back that I think, well... I think part of it is that you don't want to admit that there's a problem. You're afraid that if you even bring it up, that, that everything will just fall apart. And it's, that's, you know, very saddening to you. So maybe it just comes out subconsciously, uh, you know, in, in the music, and maybe it just comes out in what you're, what you're doing. And uh, I think there's a lot of strength in the record. I mean, it's, it's a kind of man record, if you know what yeah. I mean, I think, in a lot of ways. And that, you know, the geometry of it, I think, is very good. Um, the shape, the shapes within it are good, but uh, but you know it, it's certainly people who are saying the, the the things that they're saying almost by you know force of will and determination and out of mutual respect. To me, it's it's almost like a, a record that you know, it, almost like a marriage where you've been married for a while and the love's still there and you try and make it work, but you're dealing with all these everyday things by that time would begin the way of you doing what you really wanted to do it. Yeah. Like the beginning, you had nothing in the way, so it's just it's purely that. Yeah. But there, there, there is certainly a, a, a statement of fact saying that this is a, you know, a courageous and a tough thing to do. In real life, that's, and the record is, you know, emphasizes that, and, and, and particularly in high as well. I really feel that you're saying, you know, this is ordinary, but the fact that it's ordinary doesn't mean it's say that it doesn't deserve the respect. I think there's a lot of respect in the record for, for one another and for, for the music that comes through. I think, I think you are right. I mean, certainly high. You know, I remember writing the song and, uh, <clears throat> again, we'd been in the studio and outside Edinburgh and uh, we'd done quite a bit of work but uh, and I'd, I'd started to do the vocals but... I just, I just knew, I just, something was, you know, I put the headphones on and I just knew it just wasn't right, something wasn't right about it and, you know, after maybe a week, 
I mean, that's a question we'll get to in a minute, but if we're picking a couple of tracks off of, off of here, do you, do you want to pick tracks off, off of higher? Maybe we should play Because of Toledo is one of them, because it's, a, it's just a fantastic yeah, that'd be a good choice. You know, and it's, it's an American romance. It's certainly not a European romance, Because of Toledo, just lyrically. Yeah, that's that song particularly. Yeah, yeah and it's like, and it's, it's, was that kind of slightly overhang from Peace at Last, Paul, and, and the American journey that, you know, or... or I think it was, yeah, I mean, there was, there was, that's what I mean. I mean, I think I can see bits of all of the records in high, you know, I mean, Days of Our Lives, I would say, obviously it starts, she lives in a house in London, so, you know, um, there are kind of scattered things, I think, throughout the record that in, a, that in a sense refer to all of the other records, but again, that would be something you weren't aware of at the time, yeah. you know? And, and, and we'll, we'll play because of Toledo, and is there a track that you would, you would, like to pick off off of high. Let me think. Maybe broken loves. You know, Brendan, Brendan Smith, your you know, piano yeah. player and a friend of ours. He he, this is his favourite song. <laughs> he, he just loves this song. Like, Why do you love it? He goes, I just love it. It just it just <laughs> is something you know. It's it's like you know, it's real love, real life, and it's just that there's a there's a heaviness to that piano, constant stabbing. You know the way it's played, but you know. Anyway, so we'll play. This is the Polonio in a song called Broken Loves, and we'll send this out to Brendan Smith. I feel exactly like a matchstick in relation to you.
Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.